You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Let's now move on to another wife of the Prophet. There's quite some discussion about her. Of course, we'll have the discussion about Aisha. I know you're all waiting for the discussion on Aisha. That will come. But now we'll start our discussion by examining the other camp of the Prophet's wives. And we'll start the discussion by examining Hafsa. The biography of Hafsa bint Umar ibn al-Khattab. Hafsa was previously married to Khunais ibn Hudhaf al-Sahmi or al-Sahmi. So she was previously married before the Prophet and she married him in in Mecca. This is before the Hijrah. When the Prophet migrates to Medina, she also migrates with her husband. They settle in Medina. Her husband al-Khunais, he becomes ill. And he participates at the battle of Badr. And due to the wounds that he sustained at Badr, he dies. Her husband Khunais dies right after Badr. So now that this happened, we find that Umar came after her waiting period. Umar came to Uthman. And he told Uthman, you know, my daughter, she lost her husband. And he basically hinted to Uthman to marry her. Or would you be interested in marrying her and taking care of her? Uthman says, no, I'm not interested. Who narrates this? Ibn Sa'd and his tabaqat. Ibn Sa'd is a Sunni historian. In volume 8, page 56, he mentions this. Then he goes to Abu Bakr. He tells him, would you be interested in taking care of my daughter? He says, no, not interested. So he goes to the Prophet and he's basically complaining. He tells him, Ya Rasulullah, I went to Abu Bakr, he's not willing to marry my daughter. I went to Uthman, he's not willing to marry my daughter. What do I do? So the Prophet ﷺ tells him, according to some you know, narrations that Sunnis have narrated, the Prophet tells him, إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ قَدْ زَوَّجَ عُثْمَانَ خَيْرًا مِنْ إِبْنَتِكَ وَزَوَّجَ إِبْنَتَكَ خَيْرًا مِنْ عُثْمَانَ Uthman that you're talking about, Allah has given him a wife better than your wife, Hafsa. Basically who? Whose daughter? Prophet's daughter. Because Uthman married the Prophet's daughter. So Uthman's not going to marry your daughter, he's going to marry one who's better than your daughter, which is my daughter, the Prophet's daughter. وَزَوَّجَ إِبْنَتَكَ خَيْرًا مِنْ عُثْمَانِ as for your daughter Hafsa, Uthman rejected her, but she's going to marry someone better than Uthman. And who did it turn out to be? The Prophet He ended up marrying her. So the Prophet married her according to some sources in the month of Sha'ban, year three of the Hijrah, before the battle of Uhud. And how old was she? Hafsa, according to some historians, she was born five years before Ba'tha. So do the math with me now. If she's born five years before Ba'tha, 
before the Prophet receives revelation. How old is she that day in year 3 of the Hijrah? A little bit more than 20. See 5 before the Ba'tha, she was born uh, the year of Tarmim al-Ka'bah, when the Kaaba was renovated. And then how long did the Prophet stay in Mecca? 13, so 5 plus 13 is uh, 18. And then this is year 3 of the Hijrah, so 21, 22. She was about 21, 22 years old when the Prophet married her, her husband had died. The dowry that the Prophet had given her was 400 dirhams. 400 dirhams, 400 golden uh, uh, silver coins, which is Mahra Sunnah. Now who was her mother? Her father is Umar, but who's her mother? Her mother was Zainab, the, the sister of the famous Sahabi and companion Uthman ibn Mad'un. Have you heard of Uthman ibn Mad'un? He was a very good companion and he died. Uh, you know, um, early on in Medina he died. And it was a very tragic moment for the companions in Medina. So her mother is the sister of Uthman ibn Madhun. So her mother comes from a decent family. Why did the Prophet marry her? There are some who object to the Shia that you guys are critical of Hafsa. You consider her disobedient, she was not on the right path. Why would the Prophet marry a woman who's not good, who's not righteous? I'll share with you several answers here. Number one, one reason why the Prophet married her was to honor her husband. When did her husband die? Right after bed because he was wounded at bed. See in those early days of Islam, the Prophet was sending a message that if you sacrifice, I'm not a man who's disloyal, careless, and you guys get killed and I don't do anything about it. To show his appreciation for those who participated in the battle, the Prophet would sometimes do something like this, he marries the wife of the martyr in order to say thank you to the martyr and his tribe and his people. That yes, now you gave your life in this battle, so now your wife is a widow, but I will sponsor her. Not because the wife is a good person, because you sacrificed for my cause. So the first reason why the Prophet married Hafsa is to honor her husband. He sacrificed at Badr, he died. And so the Prophet socially was thanking the husband. Not because his wife is good, because he sacrificed. Is there any problem with this? See sometimes when you honor someone, you don't look at the status of his family members. I'll give you an example, you have a best friend, you have a best friend. That best friend died saving you, he died saving you. He has a son, his son is bad, his son is a person with no piety, no iman, whatever. You go and you gift a gift to his son. I tell you, why are you gifting this bad son? You're like to honor his father. Yeah, but the father was good, but the son's bad. He's like, I know. But that's my way of socially saying thank you to his father. So I know the son's bad. I'm not giving him because he's a good person, but because of his father. Is this unnatural? Tell me, what do you think about it? Is this unnatural? 
No, it's perfectly natural. Any objections? <laughs> Remember, this is one reason. I'm not saying this is the only reason why he married her, but it's one reason. And, and remember the, 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 the context before it too. Omar goes, he takes her to Abu Bakr, he says no. He takes her to Uthman, he says no. So now you have a widow. Her husband was a man who sacrificed in the battle. Nobody, nobody's w- willing to marry her. So the way to honor that man is like, okay, I will marry her. Oh, I find that natural, yes. Um, so a question comes to mind. There were many other people who also died. And of course, Rasulullah only married a certain amount of women. He didn't marry all of the martyrs, you know, women. So did Rasulullah have like a practice where he encouraged the Sahabiyah uh, to marry? Oh yes, see the, the problem cannot marry all the widows. He just sets an example. So he did encourage the companions that if there is a widow and her husband is killed at battle, sponsor her and marry her. Yes, the Prophet would constantly um, uh, encourage the companions, but most of the times the companions would not. Because it's, it's, an, it's a responsibility, it's a financial burden, it's a burden. And so not many of them, especially with a widow that was a little bit older. The companion, this is how he thought, if I can get married, a third wife, a second wife, I'll marry a, an 18 year old who's a virgin. Why should I marry a widow who has kids, who uh, spent her youth? So it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. No, it wasn't really anything out of the ordinary. It was pretty normal. Yes, we do have inst- some historical accounts. Maybe Sunnis don't agree with us about this. But we do have historical accounts that she was known for her strong akhlaq. She had an attitude and so <laughs> Abu Bakr and Uthman knew about her attitude and they were not interested because they knew that she's difficult to deal with. We do have these references and that's, that's another reason why they were discouraged from marrying her due to that attitude that she had. So then the question that you know, the average Shia would ask, why didn't the Prophet know about this and if he did, which he probably did, why couldn't he set his sunnah with some other martyrs? Okay, so that leads us to the second reason why the Prophet married her. So the Prophet is aware of her akhlaq or whatever reason that Uthman and Abu Bakr were not interested in and he knew that. So why did he accept? The second reason and then the third reason is really the main reason. The second reason is to be a role model for husband, for husbands to deal with women who have bad akhlaq. See, the Prophet is a role model for everyone. Someone can come and tell the Prophet, look, you only marry women who have the perfect akhlaq. You don't have a struggle. You teach us be patient. If you have a wife or a husband who's not good, what do you know about that? All your wives are good. No. The Prophet tells them, no, I had wives that every single day they would create problems for me. But I always maintained my akhlaq. I was always patient. I was always smiling. Because Allah wants the Prophet, see the Holy Quran says, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا Surah Al-Ahzab Allah says the Prophet is an uswa, is an exemplar, role model for everyone in all fields. So if you have a bad spouse, bad husband, bad wife, how do you relate to the Prophet? You can relate to the Prophet. Why? Because he did have a spouse who had a tough attitude. So Allah wants him to be a role model. Maybe that's another reason why he married Hafsa. Does that make sense? Because Allah wants him to be in different situations. So he can be a role model for everyone. 
So Allah would give him permission, yes, marry some woman who don't have the best attitude to be a role model for everyone. But the real reason, the third reason, and this reason is also shared with Aisha. When we talk about Aisha, we'll expand this on this further, but just to give you a heads up. Allah wants to try and test this ummah. Because the reason why most Muslims, Sunni Muslims, they have a difficult time distancing themselves from Aisha and Hafsa, and they follow their path and know they were good, is because they are the wives of the Prophet. And one reason why they distanced themselves from Imam Ali and Ahl bayt is because of Aisha and Hafsa. They gave preference to the wife of the Prophet over the successor and the cousin and the son-in-law of the Prophet. And that's a means for Allah to test this ummah. Allah tests this ummah through such a relationship to see do you use your intellect to follow right from wrong or do you just go by the outside appearance? Do I have any evidence from Sunni hadith and Shia hadith that Allah used Aisha to test the ummah? Is there any evidence? Yes. Bukhari. I don't think Sunnis know what's in Bukhari, believe me. Not the scholars, but the laymen. Listen to this hadith in Bukhari. This is from Abu Maryam Abdullah ibn Ziyad al-Asadi. He narrates this hadith in Sahih Bukhari. He says, لَمَّا صَارَ طَلْحَةُ وَالزُّبَيْرِ وَعَائِشَ إِلَى الْبَصْرَةِ When Aisha went to Basra, along with Talha and Zubair to fight Imam Ali, بَعَثَ عَلِيٌّ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ عَمَّارَ بْنَ يَاسِرْ وَحَسَنَ بْنَ عَلِي Imam Ali dispatched to Ammar ibn Yasin and his son Al-Imam Al-Hassan. He sent them. Where did they go? فَقَدِمَ عَلَيْنَا الْكُوفَ The narrator is saying that Ammar ibn Yasir and Imam Al-Hassan were sent by Imam Ali to come to Kufa. So they came to Kufa. فَصَعِدَ الْمِنْبَرَ They both went to give a speech. فَكَانَ الْحَسَنُ بْنُ عَلِيٍّ فَوْقَ الْمِنْبَرْ فِي أَعْلَاهِ وَقَامَ عَمَّارِ أَسْفَلَ مِنَ الْحَسَنِ you know the pulpit has stairs. Imam al-Hassan went on the higher stair and Ammar below him. When we went there, Ammar, I heard them saying the following. Oh people know that Aisha has gone to Basra. Ammar says, according to the hadith of Bukhari, that I swear by Allah, she's the wife of your prophet in dunya and akhirah. Now we have a commentary on al-akhirah, this is a fabrication. But I want you to look at the ending of the hadith, because that's the point. وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَىٰ إِبْتَلَاكُمْ لِيَعْلَمَ إِيَّاهُ تُطِيعُونَ أَمْ هِيَ But Allah has tested you. To see, O oh you Muslims, O oh you Ummah, do you follow her, the wife of the Prophet, or you follow him, Allah? Allah says, be with whose side? Imam Ali. No, no doubt about that. Even Sunnis cannot dispute that. Allah says, follow Ali. Aisha says, no, fight Ali. Why did the Prophet then marry Aisha according to Ammar in Bukhari. Because Allah wanted to test the Ummah to see do they follow her or they follow him. 
It's a test. She's a means of a test. And this is in Bukhari. Okay, in our Shia hadith, we have a hadith from Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhi salam. This is in the book of Sulaym ibn Qais al-Hilali. Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhi salam states, when referring to Aisha, he says, Inna ummakum, your mother, because she's considered the mother of the believers, she's the wife of the Prophet. Inna ummakum ibtalakum Allahu biha liya'lama ama'ahu takunun amma'aha. Your mom, your mother, Allah tested you with her to see you'll be with her or with God. Same words that Ammar used. Probably Ammar learned this from Imam Ali So this is in Bukhari. If someone asks you why, tell him, just show him this hadith in Bukhari. Tell him, I believe what Ammar ibn Yasir believed. That's it. In Bukhari. The Prophet married her, not because she was a virtuous, fabulous woman. No, no. Because Allah wants to test this Ummah. Well, they'll say the same Bukhari mentioned she was the most favorite, she's this, she's that. So we have hadiths that she was the favorite and she was decent and good. So that's how they'll counter it. They'll try to say Ahmad himself is admitting she's a wife of the Akhmer as well. Yes, they'll also admit that. But remember, even, see, this hadith in itself is problematic. Because if Ammar is saying, that Allah is testing the Ummah through Aisha. That means she's doing something wrong for Allah to test. Otherwise, where's the test then? If Ali is right and Aisha is right, then where's the test? It's clear that he's saying she's doing something wrong. Then why did the Prophet marry her if she's going to do something wrong? Well, to test you. If a woman is doing something like that, how could she be the Prophet's wife in the Akhirah? How? Is there any other tafsir of her being the wife of the Prophet on, in the Akhirah without saying she was good? Maybe on the Day of Judgment she's lawful to the Prophet? I don't know. Or they're really, it's, it's a fabrication. We believe it's a fabrication, but we're just trying to figure out maybe other meanings. So even if he admits she's the wife of the Prophet in the Akhirah, but why did he marry her? Because that's the question we're trying to answer. Why did the Prophet marry her? Because she's a virtuous virtuous woman? No. According to Ammar in, in Bukhari, why did the Prophet marry her then? Test. Khalas. Say the same thing about Hafsa and any other similar scenario. Test. Allah wants to test the Ummah. Isn't there a verse in the Quran that says that too? Like there, um, that says what? Um, talks about yeah, the wives of Prophet Nuh and Lut, they disbelieved and they went to hell, according to the Quran. No, it's natural. No, what, what do you mean? You mean by name? Surah Al-Tahrim, the conspiracy. And that the Quran condemns those two. Yeah, yeah, of course. Surah Al-Tahrim, Allah talks about the conspiracy of Aisha and Hafsa. We'll talk about it right now. Yes, Allah talks to the believers and tells them, look, beware. You could have children or spouses who are your enemies. So beware. And yes, this you know, applies to the Prophet too. Okay. So the Prophet marries Hafsa. She was a troublemaker, even according to Sunni hadiths. To the point 
that Sunni scholars and hadith states the Prophet divorces her. The Prophet divorces Hafsa. Why? First of all, she would constantly create trouble. For instance, her extreme jealousy with Safiya. When the Prophet marries Safiya, one day he entered uh, into her room, Safiya's room, and he saw her crying. He told her, Safiya, what's the matter? Why are you crying? She said that Hafsa is telling me I am the daughter of a Yahudi, of a Jew. Because Safiya comes from a Jewish tribe. Her father was a Yahudi. So Hafsa would say this in a derogatory way. You the daughter of a Yahudi. You know, you have no respect. And that made Safiya cry. We'll talk about that later when we talk about Safiya and the answer the Prophet taught Safiya to say back. We'll talk about that later. So she would create problems with the Prophet's wives. Now that's Safiya. Then we have Maria. With Maria it blows and it, it just gets out of control to the point where Sunni say the Prophet divorced her. Some say he threatened to divorce her, but a lot of Sunni scholars say, you know, he actually divorced her. Imagine a wife who's going to be, be with you in Akhirah and you divorce her here in this world. What, what kind of uh, logic is that? Now the story is very long with Maria. I'll summarize it for you. Basically, Maria was gifted to the Prophet. This is according to Sunni sources. I'm just going by Sunni hadith. What do we mean by a gift? How do you give a woman as a gift to someone? Slave. As a slave she was given. Before the Prophet married her, because remember the Prophet frees her, then marries her. Before the Prophet marries her, when she was still a slave, one day Hafsa goes to her room, according to Sunni hadith, and she finds that the Prophet was just with Maria. He had just had a relationship with Maria. In whose room? Hafsa's room. Why in Hafsa's room? Because Maria was not an official wife yet, so she didn't have a room yet. <laughs> Hafsa goes crazy. She tells him, Ya Rasulullah, ala, ala firashi? In my room? In my bed? When the Prophet sees her reacting in such a negative way, he says, look, I'll do anything to please you. Just be quiet. Don't tell anybody I did this. And I promise you I will make this haram on myself. I will no longer have a relationship with my slave woman. I promise you. But please, don't go and talk about this and create commotion with my other wives. They're going to get jealous. <laughs> she said, okay. The next, the next thing she does, according to Sunni hadith, next day, who does she go and tell? Aisha. Aisha. How does Aisha deal with the matter? Does she tell her, look, respect the Prophet, keep quiet? How does Aisha react? Same as Hafsa. She sides with Hafsa against the Prophet. And that's when Allah reveals Surah Al-Tahrim according to Sunni hadith. You know Allah telling him, Ya ayyuhal nabiyu, lima tuharrimu ma ahalla Allahu lak? Oh Prophet, why is it that you make something which is halal for you haram? 
just because you want to satisfy your wives. And then Allah condemns these two wives. You're conspiring against the Prophet. You have to do tawbah. If you continue conspiring, Allah is against you. Jibra'il is against you. The believers are against you. So on and so forth. You know the verse. Because the Prophet is so upset after this incident, he tells her, Hafsa, goodbye. I'm divorcing you. Then after that, what happens? After that, Jibra'il comes according to Sunni hadith and he tells him, Ya Rasulullah, Raja' Hafsa, فَإِنَّهَا صَوَّامَةٌ قَوَّامَةٌ وَإِنَّهَا زَوْجَتُكَ فِي الْجَنَّةِ So the Prophet goes back to her and we agree the Prophet goes back to her. You know when you divorce a woman in the waiting period, it's a raj'i divorce, you can go back to her. So the Prophet did go back to her, but why? One Sunni hadith claims Jibra'il told him, told him, Ya Rasulullah, go back to Hafsa, she excessively fasts, Qawama, she prays the night, standing, and uh, she's a good woman, and she's going to be your wife in the Akhirah. This is one version. Another version says, no, the Prophet went back to her because of Umar. Umar when he heard that the Prophet divorced Hafsa, he became very concerned. He took the dust and he put it on his head. He says, Hafsa what have you done? Now what? Now the shame and the disgrace you've put to our family. How will anyone respect us anymore? What have you done Hafsa? Umar gets very very upset. And so the Prophet hears that Umar is going nuts. He's really going crazy. So to satisfy Umar, for Umar's sake, he, he goes back to her. So already we have a contradiction, already. The first version is Allah sends Jibra'il, oh Jibra'il, go and marry, uh, go back to her. The second version says, no, the Prophet saw Umar very upset. And as a result, he is the one he goes back to her to satisfy Umar. In fact, the Sunni hadith mentions that Umar, he goes after this incident. Hafsa was still creating trouble for the Prophet. And Umar had sensed that the Prophet's going to divorce her again. So Umar, he goes and tells her, Hafsa, what are you doing? The Prophet already divorced you once. And you know the only reason why he went back to you is because of me. Not because of you. Because of me, he went back to you. So stop this. So already we have a problem here, my dear brothers and sisters. This is a contradiction. Did Allah instruct him? Or is it because he didn't want Umar to be too upset? That in itself is an observation I want you to think about. Which is clear indication. It's not that, you know, uh, Allah told him to go back to her because she was a decent lady. Number three. Jibra'il comes to the Prophet and he tells him, marry her. Because she is sawamatun qawama, wa innaha zawjatuka fil jannah. Well, there's two problems with this hadith. The first problem is that the woman who's sawama and qawama, she conspires like this against the Prophet and she hurts the Prophet to the point where he divorces her. 
What kind of a sawama and qawama is this? Think about it. Number two, number two. The same Quran that they're citing states, وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْذُونَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Those who hurt the Prophet, they have a severe punishment. And in another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُؤْذُونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ لَعَنَهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ وَعَدَّ لَهُمْ عَذَابًا مُهِينًا Those who hurt the Prophet, Allah and the Prophet, Allah has prepared a painful chastisement and punishment for them in dunya and akhirah, and Allah curses them. When Hafsa goes and exposes the secret of the Prophet, such that the Prophet is so disappointed, you know what Bukhari says? Bukhari says for 30 days, for a month, the Prophet left all of his wives. He was so upset because of the toxic environment in the rooms of the Prophet. He went to the masjid for a month, such that some people started to speculate. The Prophet is divorcing all of his wives. You know, sometimes when you have kids and some of them drive you nuts, you just leave all of them and you discipline all of them. That's what some people thought that the Prophet is doing. I'm just asking you a very, just an academic neutral question. A woman who does that to the Prophet to this extent, exposing his secrets, conspiring, to the point where Bukhari says one month he leaves all of his wives. Is she serving him or she's harming him? Is she hurting him or no? Just tell me. Is she hurting him or no? If she's hurting him, the Quran says Allah curses those who hurt the Prophet. And they have on the day of judgment, adab. If, if this is the case, how is it that Jibra'il is telling him, no, she's qawama sawama and she's with you in the akhirah. She's hurting you, Ya Rasulullah, she's hurting you. To the point where it was the talk of the town. All the companions were, according to Bukhari, they were saying, what happened? Is Rasulullah, and because the Prophet was so hurt, nobody dared to go and ask the Prophet, go and read the hadiths. Until Umar, the hero, he goes and he solves the problem, according to their hadith. Fine, we'll go with their version. We'll go with your version. Your version states the Prophet was so upset, no companion dared to go and ask the Prophet, what's the matter, can we help? How upset must you be for people to shy away from even talking to you? How hurt must you be? And even Umar in the beginning, he was scared to go and talk to the Prophet according to their hadiths. Then finally he goes and he uh, talks to the Prophet and he comforts him and he says, okay, I'll go back to my wives. So the woman who hurts Rasulullah, she's sawama and qawama and she's with him in paradise? I don't know, you make the judgment here. It doesn't um, settle with me. Yes? Um, so, so this uh, version where they claim Jibra'il came down and, and vouches for them that they're fasting and they pray, if that's true then why is that same Jibra'il enemy of the... Exactly. And the same Surah Al-Tahrim, very good point. If, if Jibra'il is advocating on behalf of Hafsa, why does Surah Al-Tahrim threaten Aisha and Hafsa that if you continue these conspiracies and if you don't repent, then Jibra'il, of course Allah, but Jibra'il is also your enemy, your opponent. So is Jibra'il with her or against her? You tell me. Who do I believe? Quran or um, Mustadrak al-Hakim al-Naysaburi? Who am I going to believe? <laughs> By the way, there's another problem with the hadith, sawama qawama. The attributes of the women who will replace them. 
But well, that's a, yes, that's a, that's a hint from the Quran that they don't have these qualities. Because the Quran says, look, if the Prophet divorces you and you continue this uh, conspiracy, then Allah will replace you with believing women. Women who supplicate. Women who worship Allah properly. What does that mean? If you get rid of an employee and tell them, look, I'm going to replace you with someone who actually works. What does that mean? It means you're not working. So when the Quran says, if he divorces you, he's going to replace you with a woman who are actually uh, mu'minat, qanitat, muslimat, you know, these good qualities. What does that mean? Are these qualities there or no? That's another point. But there's a problem in the hadith that Al-Hakim al-Naysaburi mentions. And they consider it a sahih hadith in which Jibra'il says, Qawwama sawama. There's a problem. They narrate this hadith from Uthman ibn Mad'un. Qadama and Uthman, the sons of Mad'un. Qadama and Uthman, they were brothers. Uthman ibn Mad'un supposedly narrates this hadith. What's the problem with this? Ah. When did the Prophet uh, marry Maria? Or when was she given to him? After Khaybar. What year was that? Seven. Seven, eight. When did Uthman ibn Mad'un die? Early on, year three of the Hijrah. Two, three year, two or three years after the Prophet migrated. Uthman ibn Mad'un was dead for five years. When the Prophet married Maria al-Qabtiya and this chaos happened. Whereas this hadith, which is claiming Jibra'il said sawama qawama, is narrated by Uthman ibn Mad'un and his brother. Something's wrong here. Clear fabrications. <laughs> Naam? Yeah, he resurrected, he was resurrected and he said this. So, so we have reason. We have reason to believe that, you know, this is a fabrication. It, 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 it's not compatible with the tone of Surah Al-Tahrim. It's not compatible with what she did and how she hurt the Prophet. So during the time of the Prophet, my dear brothers and sisters, she really gave him a hard time. And then we'll just conclude with this. What about after the Prophet towards Imam Ali salam? She wanted to go to Jamal with Aisha. Why didn't she, why did she not go? She was about to go. Remember, she was with Aisha's party. Her brother, he is the one who stopped her from going. He told her, you shall not go with Aisha. If had it not been for the intervention of her brother, she would have gone with Aisha. But she showed enmity towards Imam Ali. Not because she loved Imam Ali, she stayed. No, her brother told her stay. So she listened to her brother. He told her, stay put, don't get involved. So she accepted. But you know what she did? I'll share with you this hadith. It's very sad. Ibn Abil Hadid mentions this in Sharh Nahj al Balagha. He says, When Ali ibn Abi Talib السلام, arrived in Dhiqar, it's a place in Iraq, Katabat Aisha ila Hafsa. Aisha wrote a letter to Hafsa. Amma ba'd fa inni ukhbiruki anna aliya nazala dhaqar. I want to tell you that Ali ibn Abi Talib has reached the city of Laqa, of Dhaqar. And he's scared, he's shaking and trembling. Look at the media strategies. When he heard that we, the army of Aisha and Talha and Zubair were so strong, he's shaking. Ali ibn Abi Talib, we made him afraid and concerned. 
فهو بمنزلة الأشقر إن تقدم عقر وإن تأخر نحر This is an Arabic expression which means you're doomed either way. Basically, there was a man who was riding a, a blonde horse and the horse was in a position where if it goes forward, it gets stabbed and if he stays behind or goes behind, he gets uh, uh, killed. His head would be severed. It's just an Arabic expression that if you're in a situation where it's a catch-22, you have no way out, you say this phrase. So she's telling Hafsa, look, we already are victorious. Ali ibn Abi Talib is scared and he doesn't know what to do. If he fights us, we'll kill him. If he goes back, he's doomed. He's stuck. فَدَعَتْ حَفْصَةُ جَوَارِي لَهَا يَتَغَنَّيْنَ Hafsa brought slave girls, maids that she owned and she told her, let's sing, let's have a party. وَيَضْرِبْنَ بِالدُّفُوفِ You know the deaf, the drums, let's beat the drums. فَأَمَرَتْهُنَّ أَنْ يَقُلْنَ فِي غِنَائِهِنَّ مَا الْخَبَرْ مَا الْخَبَرْ عَلِيٌّ فِي السَّفَرْ كَالْفَرَسِ الْأَشْقَرْ إِنْ تَقَدَّمَ عُقِرْ وَإِنْ تَأَخَّرَ نُحِرْ She told her slave girls, let's sing and I'll give you the lyrics. What will you sing? مَا الْخَبَرْ مَا الْخَبَرْ What's going on? What's going on? What's the news? عَلِيٌّ فِي السَّفَرْ Ali is traveling. كَالْفَرَسِ الْأَشْقَرْ Like that blonde horse. If it goes forward, it's killed. If it goes back, it's killed. He's stuck. Now, she was having a party when Um Salama heard. Um Salama got very upset. She says, let me go and teach Hafsa a lesson. She's celebrating against Imam Ali. Shame on her. But then, Um Kulthum, the daughter of Imam Ali, she told Um Salama, no, let me go. Let me go and spoil this party. <laughs> so Um Kulthum, she enters the room and basically she goes into the presence of Hafsa and she uncovers her face. And she tells her, Hafsa, what are you doing? When Hafsa sees the daughter of Imam Ali is there and she's celebrating against Imam Ali and saying these words against Imam Ali, she says, inna lillahu inna ilayhi raji'un, let's end this party. And she was shy and she just left the scene. So it shows you that Hafsa had you know, tendencies against Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib salam, unfortunately. The final thing I'll mention about uh, Hafsa, during the time of Uthman, a woman supposedly, one of her slave girls, supposedly did black magic on Hafsa, Saharatha. Now what did she do? Hafsa was so furious, she commanded Abdul Rahman ibn Zayd to kill her. So Abdul Rahman ibn Zayd killed her. Why? Because she practiced magic on Hafsa. Uthman heard he got upset. He was extremely, extremely upset. Now the reason why he's upset, according to Sunni scholars, not he wasn't upset because the girl who did magic was killed. He was upset supposedly, why did you not ask me to kill her? I am the caliph. So I should be the one administering punishments. Why did you go and directly administer the punishment on him by summoning Abdul Rahman ibn Zayd to kill her? 
So we also see some mysterious things that she would do, you know. It's not clear what the circumstances are. The slave girl did something, you accuse her of doing magic, and then you kill her like that without an Islamic court. That in itself was very troubling. So in the year 45 of the Hijrah, she dies. And that was in the month of uh, Sha'ban, according to a number of uh, a number of historians. So this is the brief biography of Hafsa. Any questions on that? Where was she buried? Hafsa is buried in Medina. I think one part of the Baqi'ah, some place in the Baqi'ah. So remember, the Prophet divorced her. He threatened her a second time he was about to divorce her. And she really put the Prophet in many difficult situations with the conspiracies along with Aisha.